Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name is Joshua. And I'm Grayson. And this episode is entitled Identity Crisis. What is an emergency manager anyways? In this final EP Week episode, we get existential and hold up the Awareness Week mirror to you, the emergency manager. Listen as we attempt to address the question that I'm not sure we've fully answered as a profession. Who are we and who do we want to become? To this end, we'll be speaking with Josh Morin, who is a doctoral candidate on the topic and believes that the way forward is to purposefully address the ethos that precedes us. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current, Relevant, Canadian. So the global pandemic has exposed the cracks in society, and across Canada, there's a renewed interest in resilience and disaster preparedness. For better or for worse, emergency management concepts, principles, organizations, and professionals are in a very bright spotlight right now. On the one hand, this is great news, with increased funding and policy windows for preparedness and increased visibility of the hard work that emergency management professionals do every day. On the other hand, it's a potentially dangerous time for emergency management, and you have to wonder, is the profession ready to undergo this type of scrutiny? Did we really, in fact, live up to our all-hazards claims? In many ways, we're a divided bunch across Canada. Even at the provincial level, emergency management organizations are sometimes unrecognizable from one province to the next. So in times like this, it's important not just to recognize the great work that emergency managers do, but also what it takes to make us emergency managers at all. And in an attempt to try and hammer down exactly what that is, I was able to connect with Josh Morin after he gave a compelling talk at this year's Emergency Management Stakeholder Summit. Uh, His talk was entitled, An Ethos That Precedes Us. So please listen, enjoy, and perhaps reflect on how your own particular brand of emergency management came to be and whether it truly reflects where the profession is going. My name is Josh Morin. I'm a municipal emergency manager in North Central Alberta. I've been a a municipal emergency manager for the last uh, three and a bit years. Before that, I was in healthcare emergency management and uh, started my working career in the Canadian Armed Forces. Um, I also teach... uh, emergency management in Nate's um, disaster and emergency management diploma program. And uh, I'm a student myself. I'm a doctoral student at Royal Roads University in their Doctor of Social Sciences program, where my research interests have to do with um, the subcultural makeup of uh, emergency services personnel and how their sense of uh, self and place in society has relevance uh, for their behaviors and actually might influence uh, operational outcomes, well-being, and, and those kinds of things. So if I caught that, you are a teacher and a student, a warrior and a philosopher, and a background in healthcare, military, and municipal emergency management, and now moving into provincial emergency management. Ladies and gents, take note. <laughs> uh, this is someone who's had a bit of experience in the field of emergency management. So I'm going to ask you a question that, honestly, I'm not sure of the answer. Uh, what the heck is an emergency manager anyways? So it's a, that's a really loaded uh, question and, and not an easy one to answer. So we talk a lot about core competencies and actual, uh, you know, job outputs and stuff. And I think that's part of the reason why when we think about the emergency manager as an archetype, we don't, we don't really have one. Um, we're kind of hung up on this idea of sort of the functional components uh, where we think less about the character of the role because we're all coming from different backgrounds, right? So emergency management is, is kind of an interdisciplinary field. Um, we have emergency managers working in government. We have them working in humanitarian and non-governmental organizations. We have them working in uh, 
you know, sort of subsectoral areas like healthcare, uh, critical infrastructure, you have the private sector, you know, uh, energy industry, emergency managers, um, all sorts of, of different people calling themselves emergency manager and rightly so, but there's kind of little commonality uh, in terms of, uh, of what they're all kind of day-to-day uh, mission is. There, there is, like there's a sort of corporate knowledge about what the point of the whole thing is out sort of in the ether, but it's not really formally uh, codified anywhere. And there are folks working on that. There's various professional associations and stuff trying to codify the hard core competencies, the actual skills that emergency managers need universally. But where I see kind of a gap or not even a gap, but just a worthy discussion to have, I think, if, if we're really to look at professionalization in a serious way is, um, you know, the ethos component, the, the, the character, uh, the culture, the, the common values and that kind of thing. And that's sort of uh, one of my interests and one of my links to sort of my academic and research interests as well. I was fortunate enough to attend uh, your talk. And one of the things you did that I really liked was basically a visualization exercise. You said, close your eyes, think the term emergency manager. What is the first thing that pops to mind? And I am ashamed to say that the first thing that popped to my mind was that guy from the ICS videos with a mustache sitting around an EOC in a green vest, talking to other very similar looking people in different colored vests about a diaznon spill. Um, I know that's not emergency management, but why does that image kind of dominate our profession. Yeah, the the guys with the uh the square haircuts and the mustaches and stuff and and the tan cargo pants. That's, you know, that's a stereotype and I think that's actually one that we a lot of us uh will will pick up on. Um, you know, and the thing with stereotypes, right, is that it's not that they're they're never true. It's that they kind of they lack context and they might be um not even a typical representation but like an exaggerated one or a caricature. Um, so that's kind of why I've incorporated that exercise is because even, even though, you know, right away, we're thinking of that from like instant command system training and, and the videos and stuff, as he said, um, there might be other people that are, you know, consider themselves and right, rightfully so emergency managers who that is not the, the thing that comes to mind at all. So, you know, uh, is it, is it that guy, the, the sort of governmental emergency manager in the golf shirt and, and cargo pants, or is it, um, you know, did, did the person in, uh, doing the exercise in vision, uh, non-governmental, like a humanitarian emergency manager uh, in some place, some da- disaster effective place doing needs assessment with, um, with uh, you know, residents. Uh, is it the healthcare emergency manager, you know, with the, with the clipboard and, and their, their name tag with the, the color codes for the uh, response codes on the back, you know, working with emergency room staff on a mass casualty drill, uh, is it um, the critical infrastructure or, or, you know, private sector, energy sector, emergency manager getting a phone call in the middle of the night saying there's been some, some significant interruption? Or is it the people at the academic level or, or the senior administrators in emergency management who are advising the uh, decision making of, um, of public officials and interpreting, uh, you know, concepts and technical information for them to support their decision making, which is a totally different uh, sort of image. So my question was like, yeah, what is the, is there a a universal sort of evocative um, image that comes to mind when we talk about emergency managers? And what, if there isn't, what does that say about uh, where we are in terms of establishing like a level of sort of cachet in the, in the greater public consciousness? We're not, we're not quite there yet. And I think uh, everybody kind of understands that 
things are always more complex or there's more to them than we realize from an outsider perspective. We know that, you know, when we look at the firefighter, we have an archetype of the firefighter in our public consciousness, but we, I think people appreciate there's a lot more to it than that, but at least they have a sort of sense of uh, what that individual represents as uh, as a station in life and the meaning attached to it and stuff. I'm not sure that we have that as, as emergency management, as a profession yet. So when a little kid says, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a doctor. But I think a lot of the time, what they're probably thinking about is, is the meaning attached to that. So they want to be a caregiver or an explorer. So, uh, you know, we haven't got to the point yet where there's, there's little kids saying, I want to be an emergency manager. And we have a, a general global sense of, uh, you know, what that, what that means. So how did we get here? Where did this identity crisis come from? Emergency management kind of traces a lot of its lineage back to these sort of paramilitaristic organizations. The stereotype from that continues to endure. And it's not that uh, that we don't need those people. That's absolutely like a critical component of emergency management is the response focus. It's one of the, one of the pillars, right? One of the parts of the cycle. The problem is that um, there's more to it than that. And we want to you know, if we're building a, an image or a um, or uh, like a set of values or, or whatever that sort of precedes the individual practitioner, then uh, we want it to be inclusive of all those other things as well. We want to show that emergency managers are are not just good at response; they're also uh, diplomatically astute. That they have uh, highly developed um, leadership skills. That they're they're scholar practitioners. Um, they keep current. Uh, all these kind of things, right? You know, uh, we're sort of part of this knowledge economy, uh, along with like other professions, like uh, lawyers and accountants and engineers and people that, you know, their job, what we're actually, the wares we're selling are interpreting concepts and perhaps technical information for people, for stakeholders that don't have the time to have accrued uh, the level of expertise and context to do that for themselves. So we're doing it on their on their behalf. We've talked a little bit about you know how we got here, and the uh, I think you used the term historical barnacles that are attached to the hull of our ship, which is the emergency management profession. What about where we need to go? And I I understand, and maybe I'll I'll give you some uh, room to dream here that this is a complex situation, is one man's opinion. But where do we need to be as emergency managers? You know, ten years from now, twenty years from now, when we're resilient and, and a disaster recovery and resilience focused community. Um, the cultural barnacles, I guess, is sort of a, a, a term I, I must have uh, unknowingly coined in my talk. And what I was referring to is, um, you know, when we talk about these organizations or types of organizations that we trace a lot of the lineage and the profession back to, um, if we look at them, some of them are quite old, you know, like, and I don't mean specifically like your municipal police service or this military or that military or you know the u.s military the canadian military whatever i mean like those institutions as part of the human experience right are quite old and so it's kind of unsurprising that they have some baggage that comes with them of uh some uh some sometimes undesirable characteristics which are um you know it, it's kind of in the uh in the conversation space right now, especially talking about, uh, you know, toxic elements of uh, organizational cultures and this kind of stuff, which is true and, and absolutely uh, an appropriate conversation to be having. So there are things in the ethos of those organizations that we might want to, uh, to borrow, you know, in addition to the things that we want to dispense with or, or not borrow. For example, succession uh, is, is one, right? So these organizations are all groups that 
you know, train people sort of one up, two up above their position in case something happens to the, to the leader, right? It's not like about fifes and building. It's about developing uh, subordinates or whatever, right? Like it's about uh, propagating the, the work forward, right? The mission is more important than the individual. And, you know, we, we already kind of think about this culturally, I guess, in, in emergency management where, where we, we borrow a lot of each other's um, good ideas and best practices and, you know, even, even little tools like, like plans and job aids and planning support sort of products and, and things like that all the time. And we're not really overly bothered about this person developed it or that person developed it. It just works and it benefits us all. And there's a recognition of, of that. Right. And I think that partly probably traces its, its, its way back to um, these organizational cultures where it's about the continuity of the, of the team and stuff more than the individual and, and all that. Right. Yeah. I would agree that shared belief in duty seems to be the universal glue for emergency managers. Uh, what other elements of an ethos would you like to see? Uh, and from maybe your own personal practice, how can we develop that as individual emergency managers? If, if you're going to call yourself a, a, a professional, like what are the hallmarks of, of professionalism? Is it somebody who just like is there to do a capital J-O-B? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm not sure that that's uh, really something we want to be encouraging in, in emergency management where we have, you know, high liability uh, circumstances we're dealing with. And, uh, you know, the, the work is really important. We want folks that are scholar practitioners. They're keeping current. They are, you know, contributing to the broader community, despite which particular organization or agency they're employed in, you know, they're, uh, they're giving back. For me, I think that like, the, the reason I've got gotten involved with uh, teaching with the folks at Nate is, um, you know, reaffirming your own knowledge of concepts and things, closing the loop on that is the last, the last part of that cycle is sort of trying to convey it to others. So uh, some of my students at Nate uh, call me occasionally and ask like, you know, I have this credential or whatever. And like, what's next? What's that going to like, look like? And, and I kind of say to them, like, you know, if you want to not only have a competitive edge, I guess, but also uh, do it right and really apply yourself. Like you got to look at practice, like do your, your duties, your day job, but also, you know, like stay linked in with the community and, and active and get that assumed expertise. You got to attend these conferences and watch people's talks and new ideas and, participate in the conversation. And, you know, if you have an opportunity to, to teach or mentor or get back in that way, like that's really important, not only for the beneficiary of that, but for your own development as well, because that's an exercise in itself, right? Um, you might have the knowledge in your head, uh, getting it out to, to other people in a way that they can understand and synthesize it is, is a whole other challenge. Um, other qualities uh, like around leadership, around servant leadership, it's really all about this societal landscape of complexity that we're all propping up with our work that we do in our, each of our little piece. Right. And we have to recognize that um, we need to be systems thinkers that are, as emergency managers and, and knowing like where we fit in, but it's all about the greater uh, you know, the greater community and the, the continuity of the community and it's, you know, public safety and all those things. Uh, things like speaking truth to power, really important, like part of professional in integrity, I think like uh you know, sometimes that might happen to your own detriment, which is, uh, you know, really, really difficult to do. But the role typically involves difficult conversations and sometimes telling people things that, you know, are not the ideal thing that they want to hear. So I think if you have the right temperament, uh, it can be really a constructive exercise in doing that. Like that's what they're paying you for, right, is to is to bring your um, 
expert perspective into the conversation about a problem. And if you're sugarcoating it, you're not doing anybody any favors. So yeah, these, these things are all like kind of lofty and ideal, idealistic, but an, an ethos or a system of values ought to be. Josh Morin, thank you so much for joining us for this epic podcast. Uh, your views on the progression of our profession are highly valuable. I challenge everyone listening to this podcast to think about your own path through emergency management, what got you here, and what sort of bias that might taint your practice of emergency management with. Thank you so much once again, and I, I look forward to talking to you more in the future. Thanks, Grayson. I appreciate it. Well, that's a great conversation, and it it harkens back to one of our very first episodes a few years ago uh, when we talked about profession and purpose, and and what is a professional, and and uh, how emergency management has come to professionalize over the years. One of the things he was kind of dancing around was that separation of an emergency management identity from a first responder or a disaster responder identity. It is so difficult to give up the background that most of us, let's face it, most of us entered emergency management through. And I think one of the reasons it is so difficult is because disaster response is sexy. It's it's an interesting, uh, applicable, relatable, uh, task-based very story worthy uh, activity. And it's it's easy to say, hey, I responded here, I responded there. It's very difficult to say, I'm involved in a complex uh, preparedness initiative to deal with societal resilience issues. Like, you just lose people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah, it's harder to have the business card identification with those jobs, and even our job titles uh, from place to place and mm-hmm. organization to organization vary a lot. Uh, some people are you know emergency managers, some are disaster managers, some are emergency preparedness officers. Uh, there's there's lots of different titles and overlap. No, and I think the the title of the profession, emergency management, might need a little bit of a, a, an inspection as well, because are we truly managing the emergency? Uh, that is a response-centric title in and of itself. And where we come from is just as important as how we present ourselves to the public. And on a very basic level, I had a great conversation with Josh uh, at a previous conference around whether or not emergency managers should be uniformed. And it's truly a a really basic question, but it digs deep into how we show up in society. A uniform speaks authority, speaks top-down, speaks responder, really. Uh, And really, there's a lot of barriers that get thrown up when you do wear a uniform. So it's a very conscious choice about how you choose to portray yourself in our profession. And I'm not sure where I land on that, to be completely honest. Yeah, it can be difficult to define these things. I suppose it's it's always easier to focus on the tasks, um, and we have to you know pay some credence to the historical uh, elements, as Josh mentioned. I mean, even looking back to our civil defense roots, uh, a lot of this was kind of grassroots, community-minded, you know, civil defense preparedness that's kind of expanded uh, from there, and. Uh, yeah, I, I still think the profession is growing and even the term uh, emergency management probably means different things to different people. And I have to wonder if there was some bleed over into municipalities and organizations finding their role during the COVID response. I think this was a very different 
uh, impact and a very different response for a lot of organizations. And I know in my work, it seemed that some of these typically fire-centric or typically response-centric organizations really had a struggle finding what their role would be when they weren't the lead agency, when they weren't the responders. Yeah. In, in some ways, we just kind of expected, uh, you know, public health will handle it. <laughs> but then we got frustrated that, you know, emergency managers aren't involved enough. And uh, it's hard, especially with these long protracted um, events. And we've made note on this uh, in our Twitter feeds in the past few months, you know, who's setting records for their EOCs still being active uh, well over a year mm-hmm. into an event. Uh, it's hard to draw boundaries around what is just a societal shift versus what is a protracted disaster. I mean, there's certainly lots of disaster elements in COVID, and I think that's an easy one to argue. But, you know, where do you draw the line? Uh, Is an emergency manager going to launch an EOC with a stock market crash? Is that, you know, that's a major societal shift that's going to cause harm to people's livelihoods and professions. But we, you know, sometimes see that outside of emergency management's mandate. Uh, when it comes to really pulling on the thread of this pandemic and and how deep some of the societal issues go, it's uh, it's hard to to try and find a, a boundary and not get mission creep. You know, it speaks also to our the identity crisis in terms of what is our core knowledge, what is the core bit of uh, information that emergency managers have that nobody else has, and I think that's where emergency managers maybe we. Uh, have a little bit of issues with role clarity dealing with our public health colleagues because they certainly have way more expertise than most emergency managers when it comes to uh, managing public health emergencies, epidemiology, uh, even just the functioning of the public health system and hospitals is is quite different. Uh, and we've kind of, as at least I would argue in my ICS debate, uh, we've we've come to realize that ICS might not be the universal tool. Uh, if a hospital functions well with its own structures, maybe you know uh, having an ICS chart just for the sake of it isn't uh, actually getting you any efficiencies. You know, and you bring up an interesting point. If we conflate disaster theory and disaster management with disaster response operations, then we're doomed to a response-centric model, and we're doomed to basically ignore a lot of the societal issues that really it's our job to plug the gap in. I think there's a lot more to talk about here. And you know what, Josh, I'm sensing that maybe there's another epic debate uh, required on whether or not emergency managers are, in fact, emergency responders at all. Yeah, <laughs> That'd be a, that would be a good debate. Uh, uh, we'll have to decide who gets the towing costs on that one. Well, on that very controversial topic, uh, perhaps we'll leave you with a quick tool of the trade. If you are trying to find your way in emergency management and perhaps increase your professional uh, portfolio and and learn a little bit more, well, I would say that the International Association of Emergency Managers is a really good place to start. They've come up with a great set of core competencies, an entry exam, and a certification program that I think is a really, really good uh, stepping stone into the field of emergency management and a good way to continue your professional development journey. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. A big thanks to Josh Morin for throwing us all into an existential crisis as he shared his views on what emergency managers are or should should be. And this brings our epic Emergency Preparedness Week 2021 podcasting blitz to a close. It was sure a journey. Uh, it was funny. We had to disrupt our own podcast process to respond to various disasters in our in our professional 
lives, but we still got them out. So uh, please, I, I hope you found it valuable. Um, do like, share, subscribe, and join the conversation. Reach out to us uh, either via Twitter or via email, and we're really excited to hear from you and what we should be focusing on in uh, the, the new normal and the year to come. Thanks for listening. Just before we go, I do want to thank our sponsors. This episode was brought to you in part by Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta, offering internet, electricity, and natural gas with low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you are choosing a positive local local business, plus Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. This episode of Epic Podcast is brought to you by Shift by Alberta Innovates. Our province is a hotbed of innovation. Now in season two, Shift's hosts Katie Dean and John Hagen put the spotlight on Albertan innovators working to improve the world one ripple at a time. Here's a taste of the Shift podcast by Alberta Innovates. Make Shift by Alberta Innovates your next podcast binge. Join us as we take a deep dive with the people that are driving Alberta's 21st century economy. These global movers and shakers are working to solve today's challenges, create new opportunities, and build a healthy, sustainable, and prosperous future for Albertans today and for generations to come. Just when you think you know all about Alberta, we're here to shift your perspective. I don't know if I could stress this enough. We have a top three institution in arguably the most important technology in the entire world right now. We will prove a lot of people wrong by coming out of this even stronger. And the way we will do it is by finding ways to help businesses be cash flow positive and by willing to, you know, find the ways that we can help. We're just starting to scratch the surface. And I mean, Calgary just this uh, last month announced the fact that they broke their record again for venture capital investment. And some of this is in fintech, some of this is in a whole bunch of different areas where we originally didn't even you know, have these types of core industries in Alberta. We have diversification in our DNA. We just have forgotten about it. Sincerely, we are blessed in Alberta to have all the infrastructure that we do have. Tune in to Shift by visiting shift.albertainnovates.ca or your favorite podcast app. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of the International Association of Emergency Managers Canada and a member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional on the go. The views and opinions explored during this podcast do not necessarily represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may belong to. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter at username Epic Podcast. Stay tuned for more on the next episode of Epic Podcast, current, relevant, Canadian.